Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you in association with Manufacture CT. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business and speak to not only a member of senior management, but also a key member of the manufacturing team. Now, on this edition, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jill Mayer, who is the CEO of Bead Electronics, based in Milford, Connecticut. She is also the current president of Manufacture CT. She's also joined on this edition of Meet the Manufacturers by Henry Lucas. Henry is a tool and die apprentice who is currently working at Bead. Hello to both of you. Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers. Thanks for having us. So let's find out a little bit more about you guys. Jill, first, how long have you been with the company and how did you arrive at the position of CEO? So we are a fifth generation family business. I moved to Connecticut from Vermont 13 years ago, shortly after I got married. Um, and I started as controller because that was the position that was available. But my father was the CEO at the time. Say so he retired five, six years ago. And Henry, how long have you been with the company and how did you arrive in this role? So I think I've been here, what, four years now? And uh, the way I arrived here was through the Housatonic Advanced Manufacturing Program, where I was a student. They host an event called the um, Manufacturing Hall of Fame Induction Ceremony, where every year they'll pick key manufacturers and induct them into the Hall of Fame that they, they host. And Bede had been an inductee the year prior to my attending. And at that event, I met Jim Balazzi, who was, I think, director of operations at the time. And I got to talking to him and I found out that he was my grandfather's boss about 35 years ago. And we got to talking and, you know, eventually I got hired somehow or another here as an apprentice. That's fantastic. So your grandfather literally worked underneath the the, the current chap? Yes. No way. What a small, small world. Yeah, manufacturing is a very small world around here. Very much so. So, Jill, thinking about the, the, the family business, if you like, did you ever think you would work within the family business, within manufacturing? No, definitely not. I mean, I don't think my father thought, you know, any of his three daughters would come to work for the company. And um, even when I came, none of my sisters were involved. Um, I have two other sisters. And slowly, over the last 13 years, they've come to work at Beat as well. So, it's been awesome. It's great working with your family. And, you know, it, there's some challenges, of course. But um, I think if you focus on keeping it professional, then you can you can get through most of the difficulties. And we have a facilitator facilitate kind of quarterly family meetings. So we make sure that any issues that come up are handled outside of the normal business hours. We don't need to have that drama in the office here or in the factory. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. I can't imagine working with my sister. I've got to be honest. I think it will be a very short lived business. So uh, (laughs) I think that it's great that you've got those, uh, those checks in place and those opportunities to, uh, to keep it as professional as possible. That's fantastic. Uh, Henry, what age did you think about a career in manufacturing? I was basically um, brought up all around it. So there was always a, a workshop in the house and my family, my father, my grandfather, and then on my mother's side, there were a lot of welders. So it was it was always in the forefront, but I started considering a career 
towards the end of high school, I thought I was going to go into engineering. And I eventually shifted over towards the machining manufacturing side of things. So basically since birth, I've been primed <laughs> to go into manufacturing. It's a fantastic combination that you are both kind of in manufacturing through family connections. It's, uh, yeah. it's fascinating. It really is. So Jill, you are the, uh, the big boss. You are the CEO with the grand title. Tell me a little bit about the role and the responsibilities that come with that title. So it's very different every day. Um, obviously, creating and communicating the the vision of, for the company is top on the list. But also, you know, I motivate the team, drive towards results, try to be support to managers um, when needed. One of my other roles that I feel is important for me is to maintain the culture to help continue to improve the culture. So many things are affected by the culture. I also I report to an outside board of directors, so I have a lot of corporate random corporate responsibilities as well, but communication of the vision and support to the executive team and management of that and the culture that are the big ones for me. Now, Henry, tell me about your role and your responsibilities and also a little bit about the equipment that you work on at Bead. So as a tool and die apprentice, I um, build, maintain, repair, troubleshoot, um, anything that really needs to be done to our, our tooling and our machines. So the production machines themselves are all presses. They're anywhere from, I think, five ton to 80 ton presses. And they're really specialized progressive swaging machines. So a lot of our parts aren't you know, available for purchase. We can't just go and buy them. So we have to generally make or have specially made most of our replacements. I also um, build and refurbish and repair dies. It's somewhat of an art really working on these, um, these tools because again, um, we're one of, I think, two companies in the world who, who use this process. The other one, I think, might have gone out of business. So it, it's really an art of creating and maintaining these dies that's been really passed down from each generation to the next. I love that legacy of it. I love that. So thinking about skills that you both need for your, for your different roles within manufacturing, first of all, with you, Jill, what skills have turned out to be most important for you? And, and did you gain those skills on the job or through education or through indeed the family? Oh, good question. So I would say some of the skills I've used from through education would be, you know, time management, organization, problem solving, that kind of a thing. But over experience, I think resilience and empathy and good listening are really the ones that I found, even though they're softer skills, I think that those are the skills that are most needed in leadership type roles. And so those are the ones that have been putting more time and attention to and, you know, some are strengths and some are need continual honing. And what about you, Henry? So what skills did you bring to Bead and which skills have you kind of developed on the job? So I think it's a blend. I think the most important for the type of role that I'm in is um, definitely critical thinking and, and mechanical reasoning. So if, if you can look at something and see, okay, this is how it works. Here's where the problem is. This thing is colliding or that's colliding. That's one of the more important things for me to understand and know how to do. I went into the job with some knowledge before that from my background, but really on the job, I learned how to do all that from the president at the time and, and my boss at the time were very, very good teachers. They sort of instilled that in me and that attention to detail are all very important for, for what we do. Now thinking about Bead, they've been around a very long time. How would you describe Bead's place within the manufacturing industry and specifically within Connecticut? Our company's place, Henry spoke about it earlier, we're one of very few companies that swage. Swaging is a 
cold forming, metal forming process. And it's an alternative process to screw machining, stamping, that kind of metal forming. So it's not as widely known though. So we're very niche in what we can do. We have limitations, whether it be size or, you know, breadth, but basically it's a, we're, we've been around 106 years. So it has stood the test of time. We originally used swaging to make, to manufacture beaded chain. Now we use that same process to manufacture electronic contact pins. So the electronic industry, the electronic pins within the electronic industry, it's a very small section of a pretty large market. Now we are in automotive and telecom and um, connector and medical industries. But I do feel like um, a challenge has been kind of getting the word out about our alternative method and how it can be used in a number of different ways. So that's been an ongoing mission of ours. But our company's place in terms of the, the globe, we sell 40% internationally, we, we sell to other countries. But in terms of locally, I think we also have, you know, a, a good sense of community here in the Milford area. We started out in the Bridgeport area. So we've been very active and involved in terms of our local community. What I really like is the fact that you have over the 106 years, which by the way is incredible, but you've adapted and changed what you do to be relevant and current. How difficult has that been? It hasn't necessarily been that it's difficult. It's just there's challenges along the way. I mean, we've been through depressions, recessions, World War One and Two. Um, I think it's our stability, our diversity of products has helped us. And then, yes, staying innovative. It's really, my father used to say, adapt or die. It's not really something that we have a choice on. If we didn't innovate, we wouldn't still be here. So um, how challenging has it been? It's just, it's kind of embedded into the culture. So it's not even considered a challenge. It's sort of just considered a responsibility. I think when we went from bead chain to radio vacuum tubes to the lighting, the long tubular lighting that now has moved into LED. I think we just keep what's the next project, where the next place we can be, what are our customers saying, what are our customers doing. We're evolving with them as their needs evolve. That evolving is key to long-term success, you know, and you are proof of it. Could you tell me a little bit about the culture and the values that you have instilled at Bead? Absolutely. So we, um, we're actually rolling out our new core values over the next couple of months. And they've always been our values. We've just never identified them and really driven towards them. But our core values are resilience, collaboration, explore and evolve, and accountability. And, and I said accountability last, but that's really the first one because all the rest stem from it. So we're really, we're talking about it more. I think it's always been there, but now we're just talking about it and pointing it out and just discussing its importance. But I think our culture is, there's just a real respect for everyone in the company. I think, um, you know, we have a lot of people who have been here a long time. We have people who have been here a short time. I think there's just a general respect. We don't have a lot of conflict. I guess when we do, we, we try to address it the best we can. And then, you know, sometimes you're going to have personalities that just don't do well together. But I think for the most part, we're all doing what best we can and we're all working towards common goals. And so we just make sure we talk about those common goals and we talk about those values and, and we try to live them. And then, you know, we break bread together with celebrations and, you know, sometimes just having bagels or pizza or something fun to kind of sit down together and, and really spend some time to get to know people is, is goes a long way. 
Absolutely. I mean, free pizza is always going to be a winner. Henry, tell me a little bit about the employee culture from an employee's point of view of being employed at Bead. Absolutely. It's, it's a, a very team-oriented dynamic. So we have a lot of um, of work to do, obviously. And we know that the best way that we can do it is as a team and hopefully smiling, although that doesn't happen every day. Um, the amount of changing and adaptation on the factory floor is it's really it both demands and indicates the level of, of of teamwork if we didn't have the level of teamwork that we do we wouldn't be able to do what we do so we're very focused on getting along well and, and taking good care of each other and you know we're always up to date on you know this co-worker's kids did this this weekend and that it's, it's a very tight-knit community it's like a little little small town factory <laughs> and is the pizza any good when it arrives the pizza's always very good. Excellent, excellent. In this part of the country, we take our pizza very seriously. I had to learn that when I first moved. Very serious topic. It's a very serious business pizza. <laughs> Another question for you, Henry. What do you like best about working inside this particular manufacturing operation? What makes Bead special or unique to you? So a lot of other places that I've worked, you're sort of, you get stuck in your little corner and you do that one thing until the end of the day, do that one thing until the end of the week, and you're, you're stuck on your one task. But here I have the, the privilege and the delight to get to switch up often enough that it, it it's just stays extremely engaging, extremely interesting. I'll be able to work on one long-term project for half of the day and then you know, help this coworker with that, doing different smaller tasks in between. And it's just, it just makes for, for very engaging and meaningful work. Having that variety, I guess. Having that growth. variety and, and, and getting to adapt like that every day. Okay, Jill, back to you. What advice would you give somebody who is exploring a, a potential career in manufacturing? Or, or why should somebody indeed look at manufacturing as a future career progression? Is there any recommendations that you could give them advice or particular schools or training programs that you, you hold in high regard? Um, yes, I think that young people or students who have a curious mind and, you know, want to know how things work or want to know what's inside, I think that they should explore manufacturing, not just because it's sort of an American pride thing, but, but also because, as Henry alluded to, it's different every day. There's nothing monotonous about it anymore, maybe way back in the day. Anything that's monotonous at this point has been automated, or at least should be. And then I think you have manufacturing large company, you have manufacturing small companies and it's got to be right for you but I think they're both incredibly different I think in a smaller company you have the ability to really make an impact and you know I've seen with Millennials there they want to see the impact they want to see how they can help and I'm not saying that that's not possible at larger companies but you know I do think that everyone's kind of involved in projects and can things happen and smaller companies have a uniqueness to them and a, a community that that really I think also helps mentor in, a, in just a better mentoring environment, I guess is what I mean. And Henry, for you, what recommendations would you have for people looking to explore a career in manufacturing? Was your schooling vital to where you've got to today? Or has that small company mentality and that ability to be hands-on and really you know, get involved been sort of the biggest growth for you? Uh, they definitely both played a role. If it, if it weren't for the education that I got at the Housatonic Advanced Manufacturing Program, I wouldn't have been able to get my foot in the door properly here. That's where I learned how to you know, run most of the machines that I use today to do my job. I'd, I'd say they walk hand in hand. What's learned out in industry is really the bulk of what's needed. But what you learn in school is the foundation. And you can't 
build a house without it. You obviously, you need to have that foundation in order to know what you need to do, what you need to learn, how to fill what gaps there are in your knowledge. It's really a um, combination. Jill, what do you love most about working in manufacturing and where do you see yourself and the company headed? Um, well, I, what I love the most about manufacturing is um, the opportunities available, you know, the growth that we've been seeing, the the exploration that we've we can do the evolution of manufacturing i think is impressive you know i see us expanding our capabilities perhaps creating a product or coming across a product that our you know that our pins could be in that you know is a game changer in the in the industry i see us growing the skills of our people and having them continue to grow and advance within the company we have programs set up where people on the on the factory floor know what level they're at and what skills they need to get to the next level. That's kind of something new we've started so that they can say, I'd like to advance to the next level. I'm gonna need training on this, this, and this. Great, let's do it. Or I'm okay at the level that I'm at and that's fine too. But the ability to have that employee growth and then sky's the limit for what the company can do if the people inside the company are growing and evolving as well. That's great. I love that. I love the idea of, of having a clear path to grow because I think that's something you often hear, isn't it, is people get stuck and pigeonholed in a particular role and that's it, you know, and some people are happy with that, like you said, but other people do want to grow and learn and develop. So I think that's fantastic. You've got that in place. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'd like to give some examples of that. I mean, certainly with Henry, he's in the apprenticeship program and that's been fabulous. And I think you're almost almost through it. Right, Henry? I think I've got less than a year left. Awesome. And then we've got, you know, we had an operator just moved into a quality technician role. I had an accounting clerk move into a supply chain role. So, I mean, we're, we've already seen that in our company and we encourage that. And I, I could probably name some other examples. Those are just some of the ones I thought of, but I think if you're looking at a job in manufacturing, you wanna hear those stories and you wanna make sure you're in a company where those growth plans are available. And they're not just talking about them, about doing them, they're actually doing them. Absolutely. I mean, that enthuses me, I have to be honest, you know, to hear that you can develop and grow your skills and also that you're not going to be stuck is is a huge asset to, to the company for, for new recruits. That's exciting for them. Another question for you, Jill, if I may. Are you tackling any exciting new opportunities or challenges at the moment? I mean, obviously, we, we have this uh, cloud of coronavirus hanging over us. Has that had an impact on your business? And have you had any new opportunities or different opportunities come from this situation? So, you know, unfortunately, our pins couldn't be used in any sort of PPE that we know of. But we, yeah, I think we pretty much doubled down. We, um, sales kind of slowed a bit and we had some initiatives we wanted to do. And we decided to, even if, you know, maybe profit wasn't going to be there this year, we decided we were still going to go full steam ahead with some of the initiatives. One of which was, you know, getting our IATF certification, which is basically a, a quality cert that if you have automotive customers, you really need. Boom. We're, um, I think we're actually getting that cert today. And then we have launched EOS, which is entrepreneurial operating system is what that means is basically a business approach to reorganize your company and um, have full accountability. And it's just, it's a different way that you approach your team meetings and your team communication and all that. So we kicked that off in March. And then what I'm most excited about is we're working on our next generation machine presses. Henry alluded to some of the presses we have out on the floor. We have 
easily 40, 50 presses, maybe more, and we're only usually using 10 to 20 at a time. Um, reason being, we have this machine can do this, this machine can do this, this one, you have to bang on it a little to get this part. And this, is, <laughs> this machine can only do this part. And, and we're right now, we actually sent out a machine. We had reverse engineered it. We're developing the prototype as we speak of this modern machine that is modular and universal and can do all of the things that each individual machine can do out on the floor. So um, we're super excited about it. It's going to be obviously, you know, capital intensive, it's a big investment for us, but that's our evolution. That's our next evolution that's happening. Um, and we need to do that machine innovation in order to keep up with customers and with, with the times. Henry, what do you imagine the next phase of your career is going to look like? Are there any particular areas of growth or opportunities that you're preparing for at the moment? You mentioned you've got less than a year left of this apprenticeship. What yes. happens next and what's the plan? Next, I'm going to be a papered toolmaker. I'll be able to, to better pass on what I've learned because I have some of the knowledge required. I'm going to be gaining a bit more in the next year, but this will really give me the, the qualification and the credential to get to take on some more more teaching type responsibilities, some more guidance of the people I work with and just really looking forward to um, having that little bit of added weight behind what I say and getting to help out around, uh, around the company. Do you have any predictions about the future of manufacturing, Henry, from your perspective, either in just based at Bede or in terms of Connecticut and your hometown? What's your, your predictions for the future of manufacturing? Well, I think if, if reshoring goes the way that I, I hope it does, we're going to see a, a massive uptick in, in local manufacturing and American manufacturing. Um, we saw with COVID how greatly the supply chain could be disrupted by international events. And I think that's sort of shown a lot of people that making it here is, is really, not only is it better for the local economy, but it's a, a lot safer bet as well. And you do get a lot better quality when you buy American and when you buy local. If you can drive across town to pick up the part that you got made instead of getting it shipped across the ocean, it, it, it's a big cut down in, in shipping times and you can get a lot more turnaround speed out of it. And a less impact on the environment as well. Uh, Absolutely. Jill, have you any predictions for the future of manufacturing? Well, Henry stole mine. <laughs> no, oh, sorry. Uh, no, That's I'm great kidding. leadership uh, right there, hey? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was going to say the same thing about reshoring, obviously because of the strained relations between U.S. and China. But, um, and you know, another reason why the reshoring is great is because not only will, like Henry said, our suppliers will be closer, but we'll also have a lot more suppliers available to us and we won't be beholden to any one supplier. The other thing that's gaining popularity, I don't know a whole lot about about it, but I've, I've been looking into it, is um, this this idea of remanufacturing. With, it's not necessarily refurbishing, but basically people, you know, are very conscientious with the environment. Um, our process is already virtually scrapless, so we're doing great there. And then we do recycle a lot of our tandem reels. But remanufacturing would mean that rather than toss an application that our pin is in, they would kind of take it apart and rebuild it again. And so that's something that I've been looking into. I don't know if that's something that would apply to us or not, but um, you know, I've seen some things coming down the pipeline. Obviously, um, robotics would be cool. Um, we're probably not there yet, but you know, once we get these next-gen machines into our factory um, and we move toward a smart factory where we've got a lot more of a feedback loop between our machines and our ERP system, I think that will be a huge game changer for us. 
When you look back over your entire career, what are you hoping for in terms of achievements or contributions simply in your own life or within the company or your family? What's the, what's the big plan and the big hope? Well, as a fifth generation family owner, I, to be a steward of the, of the business and make sure I could pass it along to the next generation. And I don't think that means simply sustainability because, you know, it's, it's got to be able to sustain in the long term, which means growth, opportunity, just continuous improvement and make it so that when, when, you know, I am ready to retire, the company is better than I found it the way my father left it better than the way he found it and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, make it turnkey for the next generation and not have it be a, a burden to them. If it's not a burden for them, they can continue to care for the employees, you know, that are under our care and that are working diligently at the company as well. So it, it, it really goes hand in hand. Do you have children? Do your family have children? And are you hopeful that it will continue to a sixth generation? So I do have two boys and um, right now they're really, you know, they've said they want to be engineers when they grow up. So we'll see, um, you know, anything could happen. It sounds like the company's in good hands. That's for sure. <laughs> Henry, very last question for you before you're obviously working for uh, one of Jill's sons. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> what, um, what, what are your plans? What are your long-term plans, your next five or 10 years? What do they look like in regards to your work and your career? So I'm trying to put it into as, as concise a phrase as I can. I want to do everything that I can to preserve the old of, of the trade that I'm in. It's, it's, um, I wouldn't say it's dying, but it's got fewer and fewer people going into it. So I'd like to pass on what I've learned about it. So I'd like to preserve the past while also helping move towards the future. There are a lot of places that we can take the company and tool and die making. And I'd like to um, have a hand in moving it towards what it can be. That's a great answer. Thinking about manufacturing, it sometimes can get caught in a, in a rather old fashioned framework What's the craziest kind of stigma that you've come across in regards to manufacturing in your short career so far, Henry? <laughs> the, the generation before the generation that I learned from, they had um, an accurate stigma of being very stingy with their knowledge. So they wouldn't want to teach the next guy because they saw him instead of, instead of as being a successor, they saw him as competition. So my mentor told me a story that when he was young and, and where I am in an apprenticeship, he would be, you know, walking around trying to learn from the older toolmakers. And there would be, um, you know, some old experienced guy working on something on his bench. And my uh, mentor would walk up to him and, oh, you know, what are you, what are you working on there? You know, is there anything I can learn from you? And he would throw a rag over the die that he's working on. And sorry, no, that's, um, that's my job security right there. And he'd refuse to, um, they'd refuse to teach the next guys. And then that sort of led to that shortage of knowledge that, that I mentioned earlier, how people aren't going into the trade and people aren't preserving the tradition like they used to. That was just something that was like really funny to me, how they so aggressively back then wouldn't want to pass everything on. And now toolmakers are all really passionate about preserving their trade because they see that the knowledge is not being preserved. And what's the point in hoarding it all for yourself if your trade dies? Absolutely. And from a management point of view, Jill, of course, succession management is vital, but generational succession management, you know, this is a, a heritage and not something to be feared, I guess, you know, the, the next generation coming in to learn this trade, it keeps the business alive, far from uh, risking their jobs, is it? Completely. I mean, that's why one of our core values is collaboration, you know, 
we have to help each other. We can't be siloed. Got to work together. And, and, you know, we all really care about the company. So why not, why not work together on things? Jill and Henry, it's been an absolute privilege speaking to you today. I think that the future of manufacturing, certainly here in Connecticut, is in really good hands with Henry. And I wish you all the luck in the world, both of you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Claire. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of Meet the Manufacturers. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT or you would like to join the organisation, you can visit the website manufacturect.org.